following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome to The Leftovers. It is Friday, March 30th, last day of March. Dan Bauer, how are you? Hey, it's baseball season. I couldn't be happier. Yeah, so let's start there. Uh, Opening day yesterday, so we got to see a lot of games. There were a couple that were postponed. Uh, You were up late into the night as uh, your boys, the uh, Cleveland Indians, were on the West Coast to face Seattle in a defensive ball game. So let's just start there. We'll start with the zero bias since both of our teams were on the docket. How did you feel about the outing from your tribe? Well, Corey Kluber has a great game. There's a complete game outside of the first inning gives up just an absolute bomb uh, in the first. So, you know, he looked great. Other than that, obviously, we're leaving way too many people on base. Tyler Naquin gets the start and left, and I believe he ended up leaving four on base total. Uh, we lose two to one. And curious move, I think, to start Taylor Naquin. And I, honestly, I didn't think he was even going to make the team. I thought he was going to get traded or just. You know, there wasn't enough room in that outfield. So a little curious that, you know, not only does he make the team, but gets the start and, uh, you know, is the guy who you hate to say it, but left the most on base for us. So, um, you know, you don't want to jump and get too too up or down on day one. Uh, but, you know, Kluber looked good outside of one or two pitches. And, you know, offensively, obviously, we struggled. But we started the same way the past couple of years. So the thing to watch out for the Indians is you just can't, do what we've done the past couple of years and start, you know, as a 500 baseball team, uh, give some of these other teams in the division, you know, like your White Sox, some confidence and think that they can actually come away and pull this out. So you got to start winning and you got to start beating people in this admission. Well, you obviously paid attention to the Indians during the spring. Um, you know, we have a lot of in- Cleveland Indians fans who listen to the show. What did you see this spring out of that offense? Anything to be concerned about after game one? Obviously, you mentioned, you know, you don't want to get too hung up on the performance in the first game. And obviously, Kluber pitched a gem. Uh, but any concerns in the spring with this offense going into the long run? No, I mean, the ironic part was that I was very excited about this team offensively in the spring. Uh, Kipnis was doing extremely well. We've talked about that a couple different times on the show with his six home runs in six days. Um, You know, Brantley was looking healthy. Obviously, he doesn't play uh, today, still rehabbing. So, you know, the the big concerns for guys like Kipnis and Brantley were assuaged. I was really encouraged with what I saw out of the spring. So, uh, yeah, again, you don't want to get too high or too low on day one, but I think once this team's fully healthy and, and in gear offensively, they should be just fine. Excellent. Well, we will keep an eye on them. Obviously, uh, you know, we're going to be both watching this uh, division very closely. Uh, my White Sox started off very slow uh, in, in yesterday's game. Uh, Rick Renteria's boys, though, uh, they fight back, and they were able to actually come out with a big win, 14-7. to they had the bats going. They actually tied an MLB record for six home runs or with six home runs on opening day. 
Matt Davidson joined a group of only four players that have had three home run days on the first uh, on opening day as well. And then Tim Anderson also added two homers. Uh, Jose Abreu is actually the one that got the party started for them. So uh, there's, there's a lot of talk about the heart of this team and the youth of this team. And obviously they have an excellent farm system. Uh, but I was really excited to see them be down 4 nothing and come back and put a whooping on Kansas City, especially with Danny Duffy pitching. He was pitching a great game through three, uh, and then he actually um, gets sent to the bullpen before James Shields, who you know really looked rocky there at the beginning in the first three innings, and then uh, he actually holds on to, uh, to get the win. So uh, I'm excited to see what this offense does throughout this season. Mankata had a couple where he really got a hold of it, but they stayed in the park. Uh, but obviously, you know, when you have, you know, Tim Anderson hitting two homers and uh, Matt Davidson hitting three and getting a lot of guys involved, it's uh, it's exciting to see for a young team. And, and we talked about it yesterday when I was I was actually watching the game with a lot of you. And we talked about how when a team gets hot, you know, you just you just don't you don't know what they are capable of. And this uh, the Sox team's so young and they're so talented. They've got a lot of guys in the farm system that they'll bring up. Obviously, the highlight there is Eloy Jimenez. Uh, so we'll be keeping an eye on the Sox. I'm excited. You know, it was a big win yesterday. Um, but uh, what what other games there yesterday uh, in opening day, uh, you know, were surprising, I guess, maybe to you? And, uh, you know, what were some of the highlights? We talked a little bit about, uh, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, who had two home runs. Shohei Otani gets his first hit of his career. Uh, anything else that stood out to you, Dan, aside from our own teams? Well, Ian Happ leading off the baseball season with, a home run obviously is a big one the boston game is pretty big just because it highlights one of their weaknesses that we assumed that uh they were going to struggle with this year which is their you know kind of the middle of that bullpen so they end up giving up six runs in the eighth losing that game uh and like i said just kind of affirms some of those concerns so if you're boston you really need to make sure that you are you know looking at you know potential trade partners or if you have guys in the farm system who you can bring up and and put in that bullpen because you cannot go through this season uh with guys like smith just giving up bombs in the eighth inning and losing you games that you're winning you know if you're winning 4-0 going into the eighth that's not a baseball game you should lose and obviously you don't want to get too up or down on on game one but when game one highlights exactly what your concerns were before game one then it starts becoming something you need to look at yeah, and you hate to see Sale, you know, pitch a gem like that. He had nine strikeouts and I think it was seven or six, six or seven scoreless innings, and then they end up blowing it. Uh, you know, we looked at the Yankees last year. Obviously, they're interdivision rival, and uh, they went out and made some big moves to shore up their bullpen as uh, their season wore on right there at the trade deadline. So, you know, that, that may be something Boston has to look at, but obviously it's the first game of the year. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll see where it hap- where uh, things end up, but uh, you know it's definitely something to keep an eye on because Boston, you know, they've got the starting pitching, they've got the bats, they just need to make sure that bullpen's intact if they're going to make a run this year. Absolutely, and it's going to be a fun race to watch between them and the Yankees. But you know, if you know, playoff races and playoff series often come down to bullpen, so got to watch out if you're Boston. Definitely, we'll be we'll be watching out. We'll be keeping an eye on the uh, the baseball season here for sure. Uh, so wanted to move on to some Final Four discussion. Obviously, Anshu and I recapped the games last week. Uh, I, I know you didn't have an opportunity to give your predictions for the Final Four, so I wanted to just walk through this as we've had some time to let it sink in. Uh, so, Dan, we're going to start with Michigan, Loyola. The Ramblers obviously on a Cinderella run right now. Do you see this Cinderella run continuing, or do you think Michigan can, can bring it to an end? 
Oh, I do see the Cinderella run continuing. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier in regards to baseball, right? So once a team gets hot, when they start to believe, that becomes a very dangerous thing. And, you know, Loyola was a, a, a very good team coming into this tournament who's really growing up before our eyes, you know, their first tournament experience. And they're just flourishing with it. And that's the most dangerous team, right, is it? Someone who walks into the gym and knows that they can beat anybody and is confident they can beat anybody, but not too overconfident. So I think Loyola can continue. Shout out to Michigan for getting there again and just such an underrated program. And you know when we talk about blue bloods like Kansas and Villanova and, and Duke, I mean, when does it start becoming the time to talk about Michigan of just continually getting deep into tournaments uh, this year, making a Final Four? You know, it's it's becoming a little bit of a basketball powerhouse though. So. Uh, you know, shout out to them. I do. I don't think they can do it. I think Loyola is just too too deep. They spread it out so well. I mean, five guys scoring over ten points a game. You know, that's that's a dangerous team coming up with big shots uh, every game. It's somebody different hitting a, hitting a buzzer beater, getting some big free throws in the end. So uh, I think Loyola is going to continue this run. Yeah, I, I hope they do. I'm, I'm definitely rooting for Loyola in this game, and I hope they win despite what I'm about to say. Uh, you know, but I'm going to stick with Michigan. It was who I had in the last game. They're they, they're the favorite in this game. It spreads five and a half last I saw. Uh, but I think they get Mo Wagner involved, and that was something in the game against Florida State that I thought they would do, and I thought would give them fits. But Florida State did a really good job of defending him getting a man into foul trouble, attacking the basket. Uh, obviously, they come up short, but I think Wagner's going to be the difference in this game. And if they can get him involved, along with the guards, guard play that we've seen out of Michigan pretty much all tournament, I think that they could pull off the win here against Loyola. But don't rule the Ramblers out, to your point, Dan. I, I think that uh, you know we talked about how many different guys have been involved here for Loyola, and they've had you know a lot of different guys have big games and hit big shots down the stretch. So I, I could see Loyola pulling it off if they can keep it close. Uh, you know, but I, I I do think Michigan will end up being the victor down the stretch. But like I said, I'm I'm rooting for Loyola. I want them to win this game, and and I, I truly do hope they do, they pull it off. Because you know, like I said before, and I, I've always said this: who doesn't love a good Cinderella story? Um, but uh, there is no Cinderella on the other side here. As we look at Kansas versus Villanova, you mentioned two blue blood programs, and I think John Beeline's getting Michigan into that conversation, like you said. But uh, these are two we see all the time at this time of year. And, uh, you know, you look at Jay Wright. Jalen Brunson was the AP Player of the Year. I misspoke when I said Player of the Tournament, although he did win the, uh, the region MVP. And then you have Bill Self on the other side leading this Kansas team with a couple of really good guards there as well. Devontae Graham's been at it all year, the Big 12 Player of the Year. Uh, Dan, who do you have in the Battle of the Blue Bloods here? Sticking with Villanova, you know, I mentioned on previous shows that that was the one team I still had in my Final Four. Uh, just... Such an experienced team, great great guard play, uh, you know, very deep. You know, those are the things that win you tournament games. I've been down on Kansas for most of the year, to be fair. You know, they've they've had some some tough losses, but also, you know, games you, you gotta be winning if you're gonna be a national champion, you know. Losing to Texas Tech, they lost to Texas, they lost to Arizona State, they've lost to Oklahoma, uh, struggled against West Virginia a couple times. I mean, they're they're good, but I just think Villanova is is I don't know about far and away a better team, but you know those things I mentioned, that experience and uh, just phenomenal guard play is something that I don't think Kansas is going to be able to overcome. Yeah, you know, this one I agree on. It comes down to the depth for me. I think that, uh, you know, Brunson's been great all year. Uh, we talked a little bit about last game how Villanova was able to control the boards, and uh, they've, they've really been able to do that for a lot of this season. 
but I just I, I think Kansas they they, they aren't going to have enough of that depth and in against Duke it didn't really come into play it wasn't really much of a factor because neither team really used more than six or seven guys when you go down that bench where Villanova used you know eight or nine pretty regularly um, but I just think with the the depth that they have and this this really like kind of storybook season that they've they've been on as they've really taken care of business against every opponent Texas Tech looked like at times they were going to keep that game close and then you know Villanova pulls away and dominates on the glass West Virginia plays really tough in the first half, but aside from that, I mean, they, they've blown out their opponents in this tournament for the most part. Uh, so I'm sticking with Villanova as well. I, I had them in the championship for my original bracket, as did you. Uh, you know, so this is the one team I think people have really rode all tournament, whereas, you know, we've had upsets pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, it's going to be a fun couple of games, that's for sure. Just, uh, you know, you hinted at it earlier, just two very opposite games. You know, two Blue Bloods versus two kind of you know midwest not basketball powerhouse school so it's gonna be a fun one yeah definitely we'll be keeping our eyes on it we'll have a show for you guys on monday leading up to the national championship game obviously the final four will be taken care of before that but keep an eye on uh this loyola michigan game i think it could be a fun one that uh, goes down to the wire we've been wrong before but uh we'll be watching <laughs> absolutely and we'll have our picks for the championship on monday uh, wanted to move on to some other basketball. So we've talked a lot about the NBA this year and some of the big key injuries. Uh, it seems like maybe the league has been hit more so this year than in years past. But uh, a couple of stars go down. Blake Griffin injures his ankle. He's got an MRI. Uh, we're expected to hear the results sometime today. Isaiah Thomas opts to have that hip surgery that uh, he opted to not have earlier this season so that he could play. But obviously his results have been subpar for him uh, as you look back on the past couple of years of his career but he's out at least four months and uh, you know Dan I think that's probably gonna be a little bit of an issue when it comes to backing up that Brinks truck and getting him that max contract I guess we'll see uh, and then we had a couple other big ones wanted to talk about the Embiid one but before we get to Embiid uh, the Warriors have had you know they've been hit by the injury bug in a, in a big way this year uh, Durant was out with a rib injury, a uh, broken rib. He comes back last night. He actually gets ejected from this game against Milwaukee, which they ended up losing. And Andre Iguodala leaves the game with some knee soreness. Obviously, we talked on a previous show about Steph Curry being out, about Klay Thompson being hurt. Uh, you know, How significant is this injury bug that's hitting the, the Bay Area? And do you think that this could cause for some concern as we head into the playoffs here very soon? Absolutely cause for concern. I mean, we've talked a lot of times on how condensed that uh, bottom of that west bracket is and you're still going to play a very good team in round one most likely you know it could end up even be being san antonio uh you know those are big issues and if you're gonna you know play a team like that you have to be fully healthy i think a little bit this is the warriors being a victim of their own success you know they've played a lot of basketball the past three or four years going into june every year you know that's a lot on your body obviously you know things like a broken rim aren't a cause of that but you know knee soreness you know uh Steph getting worn down I mean that's a result of a, a lot of basketball being played so uh you know maybe it's better for them if they you know kind of quote unquote rest up even if it's an injury but uh definitely something to be concerned about and keep an eye on for you know future injuries or or how these injuries affect them yeah, definitely. Obviously, Kevin Love the other night, uh, you know, he has another injury as well. He's in the con concussion protocol, uh, but he had a tooth injury, so he gets hit in the face, and his tooth uh, essentially, I, I think, either comes out or, or I don't know what the exact. It was, it was hanging by a thread. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty gross. But uh, when you look at the West, back to Golden State, it, it's it's kind of 
wide open when you look from like three, really four to ten. And, you know, the teams that are out there that Golden State could face in that first round, I mean, it, there's no easy task there. You've got Minnesota who will have Jimmy Butler coming back. Carl Anthony Towns just had a 56-point game the other night. They're no joke. You've got New Orleans, who's a half game ahead of them, who've been on fire with Anthony Davis running the show, obviously with the Boogie Cousins injury earlier in the season. Oklahoma City has been right there as well. Uh, they're only a game ahead of Minnesota. And then you've got the Jazz behind them, led by Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, who probably is going to win Defensive Player of the Year. So you, you have a significant injury like Steph Curry, who's been talked about as maybe likely not playing that first series, but they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. Without one of those stars, they're vulnerable. They're definitely vulnerable. I wouldn't rule out a first-round exit for Golden State, and God would I love to see it. <laughs> I would. Uh, I feel like I would hear you cheering all the way from Cleveland if they went, they yeah, went out. No doubt, no doubt. On the other side, we're looking at the East. Uh, the, the team that people have really been keeping an eye on is Philadelphia. They've been on a tear, 9 out of their last 10, uh, but Joel Embiid, Goes down last night, gets hit in the face by his own player, Markel Fultz, who just came back from an injury himself, has an orbital fracture and a concussion. He's out two to four weeks, which could put him out of the first round of the playoffs. You know, if Embiid's not there, what do you see with this Philadelphia team? They're currently sitting in that four spot. They were really putting pressure on Cleveland at the three. Uh, but what do you see out of Philadelphia if Embiid's not able to go? I mean, I think it goes back to what we're talking about on the Warriors. There's a very real chance that there's a first-round exit if if he's not able to go. Uh, I mean, he's the heart and soul of your team, so not even just taking away the the physical basketball ability and the those stats, but you know, the the leader of your team goes out, and that that's big for a, a mental psyche, especially for a young team who doesn't have a serious playoff experience. I mean, they need they need him there. They need his swag and obviously they need him just from a straight up basketball perspective yeah I think Philadelphia you know they they were a team that I was looking at in the east as a Cavs fan and and even watching that game where the Cavs lose to Philadelphia was a nationally televised game um, this is a team I'm I'm a little scared of to be quite honest and 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 Embiid going down they're a completely different team I'm not they don't scare me in the least without you know one of one of their best players if not their best player when you look at him Ben Simmons Fultz has been obviously hurt most of the year, so we don't know what we're going to see with him in his career. But uh, with Embiid out, I I could easily see them going down in the first round here in the NBA playoffs. Um, you, you never hope to or, or want to see players injured, but uh, it sure does help the Cavs' chances if Philadelphia is not able to get out of that first round. Uh, so some big injuries to keep an eye on as the, the season wears down. We've only got, what, seven, eight, nine games for some teams. Uh, and then we're in the NBA playoffs, and that grind, it's almost a second season in the NBA. You've got seven-game series across the board from start to finish. But I do, I, I will say I do love the NBA playoffs more than just about just about anything other than the NCAA tournament. So uh, excited for the, for the playoffs, but uh, definitely some things to keep an eye on. Uh, anything to add, Dan, before we move on to our little microwave segment we've got for our listeners? Uh, just quickly, the fact that the NBA hasn't gone to five game series for that first round is still absurd to me. But probably, I a, love it. Probably a topic for a different show. I love it. We can go with that as the microwave. I I, <laughs> I love it. It's it's just it makes it, it does make the the playoffs a lot longer. And some of those first first uh, you know round series are very lopsided. And uh, but but you have those four or five matchups, the three six sometimes, and they they come down to a seven game series. It's uh, you really see these guys battling seeing who wants it more. I, I personally love it. Um, 
But yeah, we'll definitely talk more NBA playoffs. We'll talk more predictions in that regard. But I uh, wanted to get to the microwave. Dan, why don't you set this one up? I know it's you know my guys, but this was your idea. I'll have our listeners know, uh, and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts. Yeah, so the Bengals announced that Andy Dalton uh, will not be offered a contract extension this year, uh, which I think is kind of a curious move. And, you know, based on this free agency where, you know, you've seen guys like, you know, A.J. McCarron and Case Keenum and like all these kind of no, you know, I wouldn't say no name, but, you know, below average to average quarterbacks at best get paid a whole lot of money. It seems weird that you wouldn't take a guy like Dalton and try at least try to extend him. You know, if you don't reach terms, I get that. But uh, on, or, uh, Josh, what's your thoughts on on this and what it does for the Bengals going forward? Yeah, so I, I think you will be a little surprised to hear that I agree with what the Bengals are doing in this situation. I, I don't think Dalton's been a pillar of success for his career with the Bengals. He's had a lot of inconsistency. Obviously, the offensive line was talked about in a big way last year. You had a uh, a, a really terrible offensive line play. They let Whitworth go a couple years back there, and uh, you know they haven't been the same ever since. So the Bengals have made it a point to you know make that offensive line their priority this offseason. They go out and they trade for Cordy Glenn. Uh, I believe that they're going to use their first round pick and potentially other picks in this draft on offensive line play. And we'll see. I, I you know I think Andy Dalton's in a year where it, this is a crossroads year for him. I think it's time for him to prove that he's a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. They're going to have an offensive line there for him this year. They re-signed Tyler Eifert. They're going to bring John Ross up and give him some touches this year, I believe. You still have the best receiver in the game in A.J. Green, in my opinion. Uh, and then you, you have Joe Mixon, who you went out and spent your second-round pick off on last year, who was a first-round talent. You have Gio Bernard, who's back. You let Jeremy Hill go, who was a hand, uh, really kind of a crutch, in my opinion, and, and wasn't you know something that you were going to rely on in the long term. So... I think that the Bengals are doing the right thing here. I think if Andy Dalton proves this year that he's worth that kind of money, then you go out and you pay it to him and you give him that extension. But the Bengals were ahead of the game here. Remember, he was right before all these quarterbacks like Matt Stafford and you know you talked about uh, you know uh, Kirk Cousins and some of the ones this offseason. Dalton signed his extension right before that that money started going out to these quarterbacks in a big way. And the Bengals knew that, and I think they got out ahead of it. They gave him the extension, and now he looks like he's a cheap quarterback there. So I think it's really good for this team as you look forward to be able to have a quarterback who's in a position where he needs to prove he's worth the money, and you get the best possible performance you can out of him. And if he's not worth it, maybe you go a different direction. Do you think they draft a quarterback this year? And if so, any predictions on who or where? I think they're going to draft a quarterback. I don't see them drafting a quarterback super early unless somebody falls to them. I could see Lamar Jackson in the second round potentially being a guy that they would look at. I would love to see that because it's such a contrasting style from what Andy Dalton brings to the table. And, you know, just the excitement that, you know, a, a double threat quarterback like that brings to the table. That would be something exciting to keep an eye on. They were at a couple pro days. Washington State, whose quarterback's name escapes me at the moment, was somebody they were out there keeping an eye on. So, you know, maybe they, they take somebody in the later rounds uh, at the quarterback position, but don't, you know, don't make any, any bones about it. They're taking a quarterback at some point in this draft, but their number one priority is going to be offensive line. They will look at the linebacker position as, uh, you know, Avantes Burfik suspended again. Uh, they'll, they'll look there, and they may draft a safety. But I think that offensive line is number one priority backup quarterback somewhere in the two to three. Um, and if they don't get him in the first or second day, or excuse me, in the second day, I, I could see them, you know, just taking somebody in the fourth or fifth round like they did with A.J. McCarron a few years ago who ended up being a formidable backup and gets a pretty nice deal with Buffalo as well. Okay, yeah. I mean, I probably 
would agree with that assessment. Um, you know, if I was them, I might not wait until the fourth or fifth round. I think I would be making sure I got my guy. You know, if there's someone still there that you like on the second day, I think you need to pull the trigger there. But, um, you yeah. know, hey, keep avoiding quarterbacks. I'll take it as a Browns fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Bengals are still looking at, at Dalton as their guy. That's my thought. And, you know, if he does have a good year this year, which is what everybody in the Bengals organization wants, they stick by him. And, and, you know, they went out and they got Matt Barkley as a backup quarterback. Obviously, he's not, you know, he's not somebody you want to see at the starting position. But he's a he's a reliable backup. And, you know, I don't think A.J. McCarron is light years better than Barkley is. So you know, I think that, uh, you know, they, they did enough to, to at least get somebody who – you know, if, if Dalton goes down, can at least manage the game. Uh, but I think I think you're right. I think they do need to take a quarterback in two, second, maybe third round. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know other players fall to them if they wait till a little later in the draft to go get a guy. Uh, and they could always sign a veteran as well in in the off season uh, here as as it gets closer to the draft or after the draft as well. So. You know, I love talking Bengals. I'm not uh, overly confident, but uh, I like what uh, they're doing so far this offseason. They go out and, like I said, re-sign Eifert, get Cordy Glenn and a few other pieces, uh, Preston Brown, the linebacker from Buffalo. So I do like what they're doing. Um, it's going to be a fun AFC North division. I, I think that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and did you see the just the quick update here um, of Le'Veon Bell saying it's hard to be a hero in a city that treats you like a villain? I, so I did. I did. I did. Not, not a lot of love. In Pittsburgh. I would love to see Le'Veon Bell go somewhere out west, NFC team, and never hear from him again out <laughs> in the AFC North. That would be ideal. Um, I agree. So yeah, a lot to keep an eye on. This has been uh, it's been a slow week as far as as far as news, but as the you know the injuries and some of the big games are picking up, and we head into the weekend, it looks like it could be a jam packed weekend. So we'll have it all for you next week. Uh, but uh, Dan, I wanted to give you an opportunity to give a, our listeners your oh by the way. So sticking with our same theme we were just talking about, uh, updated Super Bowl odds came out, and the Browns, better odds than the Cincinnati Bengals. So I wanted to give a quick jab in on that one. Yeah, so the Bengals have the second worst odds in the NFL, I, I think I, I, I was told. So if that's true, I'm, I'm going and dropping a shekel or two on that because <laughs> even if it's, you know, I think it was like 99 to 1 odds, come on. Like they still have talent there. I, if, this, if this line plays well, don't be surprised if the Bengals are being talked about as a Super Bowl contender. But I love it. It's, it seems like it always works the opposite way it's supposed to. So whatever. It, you, nobody knows anything until the season starts. Everybody just pretends like they do, including us. Um, but I, I do like it. So my, oh, by the way, tonight, uh, Tyron Liu will be rejoining the Cavs uh, tonight as they play the New Orleans Pelicans. He won't be coaching the team, but he's going to be rejoining the team, hoping to get back into coaching action here in the, in the near future. So, again, this has been kind of a phantom illness. We don't know exactly what's wrong with Lou, but, uh, you know, hopefully he's all all good and, and back to healthy. You never like to see anything like that. Um, so hopefully the Cavs can get it together and uh, close this out down the stretch, Dan. But uh, we'll, we'll be telling our listeners what we think as the, the playoffs get closer and uh, keep an eye on that Final Four game. But for the good of, for the good of the group, anything to add before we let our listeners get back to their Friday? Have a great weekend, boys. Love it. We'll talk to you guys on Monday for Dan Bauer. I'm Josh Dunn. This has been the Leftover. <laughs>